And if you were here last week, and obviously if you look on the screen, we're starting my new book, which is First Peter, and today's sermon is titled Strangers. But before we begin, I would love to just pray. Can we do that this morning? Father God, I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I thank you for all that you're doing at Root River Church. I thank you that you're bringing the word through Scott to challenge us during these times. I thank you that we get to see the Bloom ladies meeting together and pouring into one another. That is super encouraging to see your body at work, Lord. And I'm thankful that the men are gaining traction. We're going through this book on manhood. We're walking through your design for what you've called us to to be in our homes and in our neighborhoods. Lord, I'm excited to see us make progress in your word and in our walks and faith. And so today, as we enter the book of First Peter, would, would you, Lord, start fresh with us? Even though 2020 has been a tough one, would you start fresh with us? Would you open our hearts and in our minds? Would you draw us closer to you and compel us through your word to be more obedient? Give us more passion for wanting to add people to your kingdom. Give us the strength and the boldness to tell our friends and our coworkers who you are. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Awesome. So I want to do a little bit of a review from last week. Last week's sermon was titled, Encounters with Jesus. And I gave you a little bit of a background and a timeline of Peter's life. I gave you a little bit more of an understanding of who he was, his story and role in in the life of Jesus. I told you that Peter was a married man. I didn't know that Peter was a married man. And his brother was a follower of John the Baptist. And so his brother Andrew brought him to meet Jesus. Talked about how Peter was just a fisherman, nobody special. And there were a lot of great things about him, right? He was hopeful, he was confident, he was courageous, and he was passionate. We also talked about he had some not-so-good qualities to himself, too, that he was forward two times. It was too many times he was impulsive, he was inconsistent, and to be honest, he was unfaithful. We know that he was unfaithful. Peter had all these encounters with Jesus from simple things like hopping off the boat to just spend the day with Jesus uh, to getting a new name. He was being called to be a disciple. Uh, he was called to witness Jesus, perform the many signs and wonders performed by Jesus when he was living on this earth. But our main focus was Peter's spiritual journey. He was this ordinary man whose life was completely interrupted by a 30-year-old. A man who would soon give him purpose and an exciting future and eventually a powerful ministry. Peter was this guy looking for every opportunity to prove to both himself and to Jesus that he was worthy, that he would be obedient, that he would even die on the cross if he needed to for Jesus. He was trying to prove himself. One of the most memorable encounters Peter has with Jesus is a moment that's defined by his own failure. Just hours before Jesus had told him, and the disciples multiple times that they would scatter and fail him and, and run away. And Jesus calls Peter out specifically and tells him that he would deny him three times before the night was over. And Peter does. Fails Jesus. He denies him three times. And Jesus, of course, is crucified and resurrected three days later and reinstates Peter. Three times he says to Peter, do you love me? If so, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. That's what Jesus did for Peter. It was this act of kindness and encouragement. Jesus didn't want him to focus on his failures. He just said, get up and move forward. It's okay. You love me, right? Just feed my sheep. Let's go. We got stuff to do. Go proclaim what you've seen me do these last three years to the rest of the world. And that it's okay. And we ended last week's message with Peter's story. Peter, as an old man, 
finally gets to prove himself faithful to Jesus, that he dies on the cross as an old man, and that there had to have been this moment where he's like, man, I finally did it. And in those next moments, he sees Jesus in heaven. He finally proves himself faithful to the statement he made as a young man to Jesus, decades prior, that even in death, he'd never deny him. He did it. And so this letter that Peter writes was written as that old man, just two or three years before he was going to die. Peter writes First Peter to a group of believers just years before he would die. He was an old man. This letter is filled with the lessons that Jesus taught Peter while he walked to earth and what the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter throughout his experience on his, first, on his faith journey once Jesus left him. Peter, at this moment when he writes this letter, is a mature man of God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and the help of a co-worker, he pens the letter to be sent and circulated for a bunch of different cities. Not just like how Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, just one church. It was a cir- circular letter that it would be circulated throughout the towns. And do you know what the theme of his letter is? The theme of his letter is this, and this is why I chose it, because I feel like this is our season at Root River Church. I think this theme that Peter writes to this group of churches in Asia, the theme is living victoriously during difficult and testing times. That's the theme of his whole letter. We'll see it over and over. Another theme is that he's talking about eternal inheritance. He's talking about hope in the midst of hostility. You see, these believers were living in a non-Christian society. They were facing a lot of harassment from the surrounding Roman communities and even the government. They weren't being cared for or shown any favor. And Peter wanted to give them confidence and encouragement to learn a lot of the truths that Jesus Christ had given him, that he got to witness, he got to hear, and got to see in person, face-to-face with Jesus Christ. He wanted to relay every single lesson he had to this group of people. Peter knows that what we think and know about God determines how we think about everything else. It shapes our whole worldview, what we believe about God. It shapes the way we think, the way we act, the way we talk. It shapes everything. Peter knows that. And so he's doing his best to make sure that these people who are discouraged can know more so that they can be better and do more and stay strong. And so this is what he writes to them. Verse one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. The first thing that we should talk about is how Peter addresses this letter. And I was joking earlier with our leadership team, how do you preach on uh, an intro? How do you preach on a dear so-and-so? What do we get out of that? But Peter jam-packs this stuff with a lot of theological truths. It's not talking to a specific church, right? It's not Paul to the Philippians. No, Peter was speaking to any and every potential believer that was in the midst. He's talking about all of us, but look at what he calls them. He says, Peter, an apostle to Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. First of all, Peter, I am not an alien. Thanks. Normal person. But he calls them aliens. What an obscure and weird word to use for people that he loves and cares and wants to encourage. If my mentor called me an alien, I wouldn't know what to think about that. Scott called me an alien. I would want to fight him. You're like, why are you calling me an alien? I'm not really going to fight Scott, I promise. Beth, don't hurt me. But in other translations, this aliens thing 
the words used are God's elect exiles, God's chosen people living as foreigners. Those are other translations. Its use of aliens is not some elaborate, complex meaning, right? It's not a sci-fi thing where we're talking about, you know, things in space. He's not calling them monsters. It's not that kind of alien. The exact meaning of this word that Peter uses for alien is this. One who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there by the side of the natives. A foreigner in a strange place. And the last one is this, stranger. Peter uses this same phrase, the same word aliens again in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, he's explaining to them the significance of some of these Old Testament scriptures. He's walking them through the Old Testament prophecies that refer to Jesus as a stone or a cornerstone and how it affects believers and unbelievers differently. And he says this, it's 1 Peter 2, 10 through 11. For you were... You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Then right after this, in the next verse, he's telling them to keep their behavior, behavior excellent among everybody who sees them. Peter is making it clear that there is a line drawn in the sand and that right conduct is imperative for others to see the glory of God. Right conduct. There's this connection between being a stranger on the earth and living in the right way. Being a stranger in the earth and living the right way. This word alien Peter uses is found in one other place in the New Testament and I want to share that with you because he uses that same word intentionally. And it's found in Hebrews 11. I know a lot of you know what Hebrews 11 is about, right? It's it's used widely and talked a lot about when we're talking about faith. And we know verse 1, right? Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's right, well, 11.1 is what we use to define faith in our lives. But that whole chapter, chapter 11, is breaking down how the forefathers of our faith were commended for their obedience and their faith, right? It uses example after example to show what faith looked like all those years prior to Jesus Christ walking the earth. And if you haven't read this before, church, I would encourage you, sometime this week, go home and read just chapter 11. Because for me, it it provided clarity. It was to the point, it was really clear, the stories of the Old Testament and why they were proved to be faithful. It gives us more understanding of, of people like Abel, that he offered a better sacrifice than Cain and why it was better. It, it offers us more uh, insight on Enoch, who did not die, and God took him straight to heaven. It provides more clarity on Noah, that how he built his ark in face of opposition for years and years, how that was to be faithful, and also the story of Abraham and Sarah. It provides so much more clarity. But at the bottom of that chapter in verse 13, it says this, all of these people died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Abraham, Sarah, everybody in the Old Testament that was counted as faithful, they were strangers and exiles. Those people didn't have Jesus as a model. Those people didn't uh, see him walk and talk the earth. They just had scripture, and that's it. 
But because of their relationship with God and their obedience to his commandments, they were able to see that they were strangers in this world. So you know what I think, church? I think we're caught up in the ways of this foreign land. I think we've forgotten where we've come from and where we really belong. We've become so far removed from our own homeland that we've grown accustomed to this land's practices. We've ascribed to its customs and its norms. We praise its leaders and its ways of doing things. We defend its honor. And in many ways, I'm afraid that we've even grown fond of this land, not necessarily willing to part from it if need be. I mean, imagine Christians have a king and he does not reside here on this earth. We have a homeland already. Our city streets are paved with gold. The system by which it's governed is perfect. There's no sickness or death. There's no harm. There's no shame. There is ultimate holiness and peace. That is our kingdom. And it's not here. It's occupied by a diverse set of people with one mindset. It's occupied by a diverse set of people with one worldview, with one desire, with one goal. We're all united in that kingdom. And the air is filled with the praises of that king and his glory and not the stench of its sin here. We've become so fixated on the status of this foreign kingdom and we're losing sight of our own. We're no longer aliens to this land. We're aliens to that one. Root River Church, we don't belong here. This is not our domain. This is not ours. We don't belong here. This will end. We will end here. 2020 has left us stranded and and exhausted in a foreign land, just like the readers of Peter's letter. Many of us have become weary and frustrated and weakened. I see it in you. I see it in your faces and in your voice. I, I, I see what's going on in your lives, and you're frustrated. You're ready for things to be done. We joke about it, but we, if we had to choose, we would choose for it to be over. Christ is our king, and heaven is our kingdom, not here. And so Peter's first words to us in this letter is, don't forget, you don't belong here. You are a stranger to this world. I'm so thankful for Peter's letter, honestly. Remember who this man is. His life is a a powerful testament to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. And as a result of his ongoing relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he's learned so much. This letter is a coursework he's giving us. He's created a coursework to bring us to the same place of faith that it landed him. So this morning, I want to go through the rest of this passage, and I want to give you three truths that will serve as the foundation of your life as strangers here on earth. Three truths that can serve as the foundation of your life as strangers here on earth. And the first one is this. You are chosen by God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It's important for you to know right now, church, that you're handpicked by God. In a season where life is making you feel really insignificant and that you have no purpose, you should really know that God has already picked you up and put you on the team. Talk about a lesson Peter learned in his encounters with Jesus. Again, he was just a fisherman on the boat and Jesus gave him a new name and put him on the team. And even when Peter failed him, he said, get up and just move forward. It's all good. You're still on the team. He was chosen. Peter was chosen by Jesus. But as I go a little deeper into this topic of being chosen by God, I'm realizing that it's a difficult topic for many people because it alludes to this word predestination. Predestination is is me asking myself, do I choose God or does God choose me? 
Do I choose God or does God choose me? People hear the word predestination and freak out. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I do to think about it. If God chooses us beforehand, what's my role in the relationship if I have no choosing power? If God does it all and it was chosen beforehand, then I must have no choice in the matter, right? God chose us before the foundation of, of the world. So he did it all. And so I have no say. And if that's true, it's super sad. And it's, it's sad because there are Christians who believe that, that God has chosen people to die and go to hell with no opportunity for his, his salvation. People believe that. Now on the flip side, they also believe that God has picked out all the Christians already. Can't have any more. He's already named them all and picked them all. And there, no one else can have an opportunity. They're going to go to heaven. And to be honest, they can't go to hell because God's already predestined them for heaven. So I kept reading passage after passage. Honestly, as I was writing this, this message, I was, I was reading because I needed to know. And I, this new door opened up in my mind and I was freaking, I was freaking out because there's good arguments and a lot of scripture to support that, that theory. I started thinking, what if I got it wrong, Lord? What if, what if I'm not one of the elect? What if I'm not one of the chosen people? What if God has already chosen me to go to hell and I'm just up here preaching, trying to overturn his decisions? trying to secure my spot. And I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I was preparing for this conversation, I cried a lot. For whatever reason, terror overcame me. I'm reading all these scriptures. And not only was I crying out of fear for myself, I started crying for so many other people I know and love. And I started to pray to God. I started to say to him in my car, driving to go watch UFC fights yesterday. And I'm crying to him, Lord, wouldn't you offer your salvation to everybody? You only offer your salvation for a short, small group of people. That's not fair, Lord. There's no way. You've already picked them all. No one else has a chance. I'm just like begging him in my car. Lord, just show me. Show me what's right because I am being terrorized by this thought. So here's where I landed. I did a whole lot of reading that day. I'll tell you, a whole lot of reading. Here's where I landed. Here's what I did for you guys about being elect, about uh, the meaning of predestination and landing with God's chosen people. Overall, this is what I believe based on scripture. God has predestined on this earth a people group to accomplish his special purposes. First Israel and now us too. He's not talking about the 20 or X amount of believers that he's already handpicked. He's painting with a wide stroke of a brush. This group of people, whoever is in it. Predestination is that God has this right to claim for himself because he's the creator of this universe, a group of people based on their free will to accept it, to accept his forgiveness and to yield their lives to Jesus Christ. It's like this. We're stranded in the middle of the ocean and a boat comes by and we're offered a lifeboat. And just because somebody throws out something in the ocean doesn't mean that it automatically saves me. I have to take hold of it. I have to take hold of it. I have to hold on to it for dear life because the ocean has some waves. And if I cling to that long enough, I will land myself on the boat in safety. And I have great news for you. I stopped crying. I stopped being terrorized. I stopped being scared. I stopped, you know, being fearful for all my buddies and friends and all of you here in this room. And in my, I stopped being fearful because there's proof that his salvation is indeed for all people. And my heart couldn't have been more settled on this topic. And I'm going to read for you a few of those passages that, that put holes in the argument that God predestines people to go to hell. First one is this, and it's one that we all knew. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever 
believes in him. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. First Timothy 2.4, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth and repentance. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Hebrews 2.9, Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for every person. Talk about a faith and a confidence that you can speak the word of God. You can speak the gospel into the life of your friends. And if they take hold of that lifeboat, they'll be saved. If you're here this morning and you have not been sure of that, and you've not been sure that God's love, his mercy, and his grace is for you for certain, I promise you that the Bible clearly states that it's for you and anybody that takes hold of it. You need to know that. Peter is making it clear that you have to know that. Because here, here's what's cool. The word predestination, God's predestination is not limited to our eternal destination. Predestination is not limited to us just getting to heaven or going to hell. But it, it purposes a number of different things on top of that while we're here on this earth. And this is what God predestines for us to be. He predestines us to be called which means invited and commissioned to this new livelihood, to this new chosen people. He predestines us to be justified, which means to be made right with God, to be holy and blameless, which is pure and prepared for the purpose he's created for you. He predestines us to be adopted as God's children, to be redeemed, which means spiritually liberated and restored to God through relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. He predestines us to be recipients of his Holy Spirit upon salvation. He predestines us to be comforted, to the conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ, meaning that we develop character and we develop power and we develop obedience. He predestines us to do good works that he's created for us to do. We're predestined to living for his honor and his glory, to be recipients of an eternal inheritance, which is our reward in heaven. So when you're chosen, he's not just saying, You get to be in the group, but he's saying a whole lot more, a whole lot more. All of that is what our lives as strangers should look like here on earth. Our lives as chosen people, elect exiles in a foreign country. Being chosen by God is no small thing. It's complex and heavy and deep and rich in its details. And if you've surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, be reminded that you primarily are chosen by him and you are on the team. So live confidently knowing that you do not live here, but you're chosen to live up there. Point number two, you are growing continuously. You are growing continuously. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That word sanctified means to be marked as different, to be separate. You're being made holy. It's an active thing. It comes from a word that means to separate from profane things and be dedicated to God. When you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit, those things that are profane to God ought to be getting expunged from your life, extracted from your mind and your heart. That's what sanctification is. This ongoing process of the Lord chipping away of the things that he considers profane, not just for his benefit, but for your benefit while you're here as a stranger on this earth. 
Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, comma, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Sanctification. A second one. How about Second Timothy 2.21? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Sanctification gets you on the team and ready to play. Church, the Holy Spirit is at work in all of your lives. And some of you are stifling it. Some of you are running from it. Some of you are hiding it. Some of you don't want to touch it at all. You don't want to change. You don't want to grow. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, Peter is saying, if you would just change this in your mind to understand that sanctification is the work of the Lord in your life while you're strangers here, you're going to see your life be transformed. First Peter 1, 2b. By the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. The result, purpose, and goal of that sanctifying work is that you end up obeying Jesus more. If you're here this morning and you've already surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, know that the Holy Spirit is in you. It's already in you. That work is already promised for you. You've already been chosen. You're already on the team. It's like we learned in in Philippians. He's going to start a work in you, and he's going to finish it also. And the process he uses is sanctification. But there's this other phrase I want to talk about briefly, which is sprinkled with his blood. Another weird thing to say, because I'm not letting anybody sprinkle blood on me. Really, I'm just not. He's just not, okay? But he says, uh, sprinkled with his blood. And here's the cross-reference. He's referring to Exodus 24. It's a metaphor. Moses, before the Ten Commandments, he's about to get him. Moses is called by God up to the mountain, and he shares his word and the laws and that people should abide by them moving forward. And so the next morning, after he's talking to God about what he should be doing with the people, the next morning he builds an altar at the base of the mountain, and he starts to prepare burnt offerings and killing young bulls to sacrifice. So there's a lot of blood. And it's in this moment where God confirms his promises and his covenant to his chosen people with the Israelites. It says this, Exodus 24, 8. Moses then took all of the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. And so now as Christians, Peter is referring back to that. He's saying you're in the same boat, in the same way that Moses sprinkled his blood on the Israelites. Jesus has died and is sprinkling his blood on you now. And this is your new covenant. This is your new hope, Jesus Christ. You've been saved by the blood of Christ. Why would we dare not live the way he's called us to? Why would we test the Holy Spirit and fight him in the work he's trying to accomplish in our lives? Don't let the devil steal your joy, your confidence in the season. Don't let him steal your patience and your your perseverance in these troubling times. Don't let COVID, the season of sickness and all sorts of craziness as an opportunity to take a break from what God wants to do in your life. This isn't a cop-out moment. Just like the people Peter is talking to, we're going through some things. It has to do with our government, has to do with people not being Christians, has to do with a set of rules and regulations on this planet that don't favor believers. Don't use this time as a moment to withdraw from the Lord. Don't. The devil wants to fight you, and when you put yourself alone in a room with him, you will lose that battle. 
This is why we surround ourselves with believers. So that if I'm getting beat up, somebody can jump in. What a better time right now than right now to, for the world, this strange land, to see aliens unaffected. First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You're chosen by God. You're growing continuously. And the last thing Peter wants you to know is that God's still blessing you. As recipients of God's goodness and his grace, and it means this, the gifts, the redemption, the salvation, the sanctification, the strength, the shelter, the healing, the forgiveness, all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we recognize that it's certainly undeserved and merited, and it allows us to have peace. When you look at what God is doing, his whole story, and then you look at what he does with his people, and then with your life specifically, there's no way you can look at all of that and not have peace. If the disciples can die for the faith with peace, then we can live for our faith with peace. As I reflect on my own life, it's the times where I'm at my wit's end about what I'm going through. I'm focusing only inward, like there's no solution. Uh, My emotions are running up and down and my mind is a wreck and I failed and I've been lazy and I've run from what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. Uh, It's those times where I finally sit down because I have nowhere else to go and I turn my face toward God. I set my eyes on Jesus and he puts it all at ease. He speaks peace right into my life and I don't deserve it. Peter's saying you need to know these things so that when you're opposed, when you're being oppressed, you recount them. And there's this balance that happens where on one hand, God is so amazing for who he is. And on the other hand, I know I don't deserve it, but it's who he is. He loves you. He chooses you. He wants to grow you and he wants to bless you. And if I could challenge you with something this morning, I would ask you this. Are you living as strangers in this world or are you blending right in? Have the pressures and the hardships of 2020 caused you to lose sight of eternal perspective? To know that when you die here, that you're actually going to where you belong. And when you get there, will you have been pruned properly? Will you have been proved to be faithful like Peter did when he died on the cross for Jesus? Years later, as an old man, will that be you? Are you a stranger to this world or are you a stranger to the kingdom of heaven? Really, it's not a gimmick. It's not anything fancy. It's will you ask yourself that? Do you feel like a stranger here or do you feel like a stranger in the kingdom of God? And only you can have that dialogue between you and the Lord. Only you can take that analysis. I can't. I can tell you to ask that question, but I cannot answer it for you. You're chosen by God. God is growing you and he's blessing you. The best thing you can do in this season right now is turn your face toward him. Peter's given us really rich theology to base our strength and our power and our perseverance moving forward. And as we go through the remainder of 1 Peter, you're going to see a little bit of Paul in his letter because there is some suffering that they're going through. And Peter's not, he's not letting them focus on their suffering. He's just not. Life is so much better than we think it is if we can just take a step back and look at everything. So as I pray today, they're going to do a song that's called Who You Say I Am. And, And my challenge to you this morning is that when we do that song and we sing that, allow God to speak into your heart how he sees you. Because that should be enough to propel you forward. That should be enough to give you some confidence to spread his word to the surrounding communities. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. 
I thank you for Peter and, and that he's taught us so much already with just his story, his testimony and his failures that you've, you've edified us through his life alone. But I thank you for this letter that he wrote to people who were scattered, who were being oppressed. The government was imposing rules on them and not favoring them. And they were in a really tough spot. I thank you that this letter is encouraging. I thank you that you've chosen us. That you allow us to be on the team. I thank you that you're continuing to grow us. I thank you that I, even when I get in the way, sometimes you make it clear that I need to choose you again, even after I fail you. I thank you for that, God. I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended to heaven, that it can be continually etching out the things that get in the way of my relationship with you. I thank you for that, God. And I also thank you, God, for the blessings that you pour out in our lives, that it's not just for us, that we can share it with others. So, Lord, as we come into this time of worship, speak to us. Reaffirm the the things that Peter is, is sharing to us in this letter. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.